Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to do a preview of the Eagles game. We'll talk about my ideas for the first play, what I would do in the game, some areas of concern for the team. We'll go over some headlines, my prediction on the game, the usual deal. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. And I'd also like to welcome in a special guest, Corey O'Neill from the Greased Pole Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Philadelphia Eagles. Todd Pennington with Columbus-based Revolution Mortgage is the proud sponsor of the unofficial Bengals podcast. If you're looking to refinance into a very competitive low rate or cash out for debt consolidation or home improvements, now's the time with historically low rates. Contact Todd Pennington at 614-390-9520 or visit revolutionmortgage.com slash tpennington for more info. Revolution Mortgage is an equal housing lender, NMLS ID 1686046. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Week 3 preview, Cincinnati Bengals at Philadelphia Eagles. 0-2 after two games, tough boat to be in. Eagles are in the same boat, both teams are 0-2, and we know from history that if you go 0-3, there's only a handful of teams that have made the playoffs after starting out like that. So I hate to say it, but this is kind of a must-win game at this point. You know, if, if the leaders in the division were 1-1, one one, then, you know, maybe it would be okay to go to 0-3 because you're not that far behind. But when you have Pittsburgh and Baltimore basically beating everyone they're playing right now, you really can't go to 0-3. So this is the week to pick it up. The Eagles are struggling. They're letting up a lot of points a game, 32 points a game they're letting up. If you're going to do it against someone, it's got to start now. If not, the season's going to start to get away from us. All right, let's take a look at the injuries. So Geno's still injured, and Daniels is still injured. And now Covington, the new guy, has appeared on the list. So we have three defensive tackles that are questionable to play this game. So that could be trouble, especially the way they were using Miles Sanders last game. He had over 100 all-purpose yards. They were going to him quite frequently. So we're going to need to make sure that we shore up that middle of the defensive line. You know, crossing my fingers for this week, it's going to be tough. You know, I'm worried about Geno. This feels like an A.J. Green injury last year. Come on. It was like, oh, he'll be back by week one. Oh, no, you know what? He's just going to miss the first couple weeks. Oh, three weeks, four weeks. Oh, he'll be back after the bye. Oh, no, he's not playing at all this year. So I'm hoping that that's not the case, but there's something in the back of my head that's making me think, like, he's probably a little more hurt than they're letting on. Sean Williams was back practicing this week. I'm hoping that he's in for this game because he's going to be a big factor against those tight ends. I'll get more into that later. And then Logan Wilson appears on the list, but I think he's going to be fine to play. So aside from the defensive tackles, we're in decent shape injury-wise. So let's move on to a couple other pieces of news. They re-signed Alex Redmond to the practice squad. And from that move, we can kind of figure out two things. One, they weren't happy with Fred Johnson's performance. Obviously, we saw the game. We know that as well. And Billy Price might not be ready to go. I'm not really sure what's going on. They said he had an ankle injury. He hasn't appeared on the injury report. So you figure last week when Johnson was struggling that they would have put in Price, but they didn't. So I'm not sure what's going on with his ankle. The last piece of news for the week is something that happened a couple days back. It was the Auden Tate situation where they made him inactive for the game. Now, truthfully, I know a lot of fans were saying, you know, put him in, bench Ross. It caused a big uproar on social media, at least, because Auden Tate has a lot of fans out there. I just don't think it was the right move because Auden Tate is a guy on the rise. If A.J. goes down, 
we're going to need Auden Tate to fill in. And it's just not good for a player's self-esteem to be put on the inactive list, especially someone who's been productive, someone that shows that they can play on this level and make big plays. You know, so I don't blame him for being upset. I'm sure he communicated the fact that he was upset to his agent, and then his agent spoke for him with the negative words saying, hey, if this is going to keep up, I want you to trade me. You know, they're blaming that on Tate's agent, but you know that's coming from Tate himself, but he didn't want to be the guy that said that. So that's the other part. It was just on both ends. Coach Taylor, not good for Tate's self-esteem, even if you didn't think you were going to need him in that game. And Tate, you know, I think, I think you got to chill out a little bit. I know you went two games with no receptions, obviously inactive for one of them, and you were poised to have a big season this year, but that can still happen. You know, we've had a history, at least since the Dalton era, of guys not really being complainers and everyone being a team guy. I, I haven't heard anyone demand a trade or express disappointment with the coaching staff or the upper management. You know, we've been all on board for pretty much the last decade, whether we won or lost. So when you see this, it, it just doesn't make me happy on either end. I, I wish Tate would have just chilled for a little bit. And I wish Coach Taylor wouldn't have been so clinical about it and thought about the players' esteem and moving forward with a guy that you're probably going to need at some point this year. All right, so what do you do on the first play of the game against the Eagles? The defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, is known for just having four guys coming in. He doesn't blitz a lot. So I say on the first play of the game that we go with 12 personnel. That's one running back, two tight ends. And what we do is we have Sample split from Jonah, and then we have Seath and Carter offset from Sample, both on the same side. So that's going to force the defensive end to say, hey, am I going to go between Jonah and Sample, or am I going to go outside of the tight ends so I can seal the edge and not let them run to the outside? And then we'll approach that with a pitch like the Pittsburgh Steelers used to do. We're going to pitch it to Mixon. If the defensive end is lined up to the outside of the tight ends, Mixon's going to cut it right upfield in between Jonah and the tight ends. And if he lines up in between Jonah and the tight ends, then we're going to go wide, and we're going to have the two tight ends just go out and hit the first green jersey that they see. And I say do that in the first two plays. I'd say do that on the first play and a variation of that on the second play. And then on the third play, you look for a tight end or you look for a slot receiver. We get it in their heads on the first couple plays. Oh, these guys aren't going to go downfield on us. This is what they've done the whole first two games. All they do is dink and dunk underneath. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give them that look that, hey, yeah, that's, that's how we're going to play this game. We're going to dink and dunk. We're going to test and see what we can do with Mixon on the first couple plays, kind of see if we're going to be able to make any, any headway in the run game. And we're also going to trick them a little bit. In the, the ensuing drives, we're going to start going more and more down the field. All right, what am I concerned about against the Eagles? Well, it's, it's the usual suspects. It's the tight ends, and it's the running backs out of the backfield, or a quick running back going around the end, and you know you scheme things up wrong, and the guy's running for 12 yards before anyone touches him. So Goddard and Ertz are really good tight ends that can give you real big trouble. So you can say that they're going to be hitting those tight ends constantly, and that's going to be a problem if the linebackers can't cover these guys, and a lot of linebackers can't. A couple other things. You know, you always have the Peterson play calling that's always going to throw a few wrinkles at you. And if you're an inexperienced defense or, you know, a young defense or a defense that hasn't played that much together like we have, you might be susceptible to some of those plays. Like even they were using Jalen Hurts as a decoy. You know, they had him lined up as a receiver in the backfield. So I'm, I'm a little worried that they're going to do something creative there that might, that might throw us for a loop. And you're going to see a lot of one-on-one -on -one coverage. If the Bengals are doing what I would like them to do and really prevent those tight ends from game-breaking, you're probably going to see some one-on-ones on the outside. So that's where Deshaun Jackson comes in. I know he's getting older, but he's still a, a pretty heavy-duty deep threat. So that's another thing that concerns me. You know, maybe they get him singled up against Phillips, 
And, you know, Phillips has to show up there. That, that could be a problem if, if Deshaun shows that he can beat our corners one-on-one deep. And the only concerns that I have on the offensive side of the ball is protecting Burrow. Our offensive line struggled against Cleveland, as we all know, and he took a lot of hits, and that just can't continue from game to game. And Philly's a pretty tenacious defense. They have a good defensive line. There's a couple guys that are banged up. They don't know if Cox is playing. Graham came off a concussion. I don't know if he's going to be cleared. You know, but they have Sweat. They have Barnett. Hargrave is actually going to play. So there's going to be some problems up front. Our guys have to be able to handle this defensive line, or else, again, Joe might take a beating this game, and we just can't have that. And watch for Schwartz to start blitzing us, because he's not known for blitzing. This might be the perfect game to try. All right, what would I do? How would I approach this game against the Eagles if I was the coach of the Bengals? Defensively, I say, I mean, they're starting a couple backup guards. One tackles, both tackles are getting up there in age. Uh, Johnson, Lane Johnson's coming off ankle surgery only a few months back. So they're in a little bit of flux up front, and it's shown, you know, they, they struggled. They had a lot of turnovers and stuff. So what I think I would do this game are a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzes, a lot of personnel changes so we confuse these backup guards. They don't know who's in there. Oh, I didn't even study this guy. Oh, wow, and they're doing a stunt. I didn't expect the defensive end to be coming at me. I'd say we, we mix things up heavily from down to down to confuse these guards and really test them. And then another big thing is sell out to cover the tight ends. If you don't, we're not winning this game. So hopefully Sean Williams plays and we put him on one of the tight ends. You can't have linebackers covering these tight ends one-on-one. We're going to get eaten up. So do what you need to do to make sure that Goddard and Ertz don't kill you. Even if it's bringing down a safety and, and doing some kind of double coverage on these guys and leaving the outsides open. Rager's hurt for them, the rookie who, who's been showing some promise. So really, you know, Eagles fans might disagree, but I have Deshaun Jackson as really the only wide receiver threat that concerns me at this point. So sell out. Cover those tight ends. Double cover them. Zone up on them. Whatever you have to do to make these guys not be one-on-one against your linebackers because it's going to be a problem. Offensively, what do you do? You know what you do? You make them go score for score with you. We score a lot of points, apparently, from last game against a decent defense. I think we're going to score a lot of points this year. If you look at the second half of the Chargers game and all of last week, it's almost like it took Joe Burrow two quarters to kind of get what he needs to do in the NFL. So I predict that we're going to put a lot of points up. Again, the Eagles are letting up 32 points a game. So we're going to score our fair share of points. So the goal is make them go score for score because their offense is not nearly as powerful as us. And Wentz has struggled. He's had a bunch of turnovers. Again, they're, they're struggling on the offensive line. So even if Goddard and Ertz are killing us, score for score, just like the Browns game, and hopefully eventually we'll outpunch them and be the guy standing at the end of the fight. I would use five wides on these guys, especially if they're rushing four. That's an opportunity there. You get, if you can get your five guys blocking them four, and you have five guys for Burrow to decide who he's going to flip it to, that would be ideal. And point guard it. I don't care. Get five yards, seven yards every pass. We don't have necessarily have to go up top all the time. We'll set that up for later because we don't want to show them that we're afraid to go up top. But I say, do what you did last game. It was working. You know, you, you, we scored 30 points with five guys in there a lot and just hitting the open guy. I'd, I'd like to see multiple tight end looks as well. It worked last game. And if you want to get the deep ball going, I wouldn't mind having a tight end blasting right down the seam, just past the linebackers, get the safety thinking towards the middle of the field a little bit. And like my favorite thing, you have Ross on one side going long 
and you have AJ on the other side going long or Higgins or whoever you want to put. So let's try to occupy those safeties, make them commit to something in the middle, maybe even Tyler Boyd on, on a post pattern, down the, a skinny post down the middle of the field, get those safeties thinking about him, just to open up those outside passes. And they're predicting a pretty heavy-duty matchup between Slay and Green. And when Green goes against those marquee corners, he usually wins. I think that might be one of the other things that I would want to do on offense is, you know, get those safeties thinking about the middle of the field and then trying something deep on the outside. My prediction for the game, Bengals win. They save their season. We move on. Next week, we go to 500. 34-31 Bengals. Let's say four touchdowns for us, four touchdowns for them because our defense is still finding its legs, especially against the run game. And then we get two field goals. They get one field goal. We all go home happy with a 34-31 win. Everyone's talking about how great Burrow is. AFC North Standings. All right, so the Bengals are in fourth place in the division. Ravens in first, Steelers in second, Browns in third. We are two and a half games behind the Ravens because we're two games back regarding the records, and they have the tiebreaker on us, which would at this point count as half a game. The Bengals are currently the 16th seed in the AFC. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, buddy? All right, my friend. So what are your thoughts on the game? It's a winnable game if the offensive line can just give Burrow time. Burrow kept him in the game last week, him and him alone. Um, If they can give him time and give Mixon some running holes, this is a winnable game. Also, it depends with uh, if Geno Atkins is playing and Mike Daniels. Um, If those two can come back at least... Rear can maybe take some plays off, not be out there full time. Uh, the Eagles are hurting when in their offensive line. Uh, Wentz is uh, struggling, so um, I, I feel good going into this game. So, what do you think of the Bengals through two games this season? Duke Tobin has to be on the hot seat. He put this team together and totally neglected the offensive line. Joe Burrow has to make it out of this season healthy. You know, they're already talking about Andrew Luck with uh, the concussions. And, you know, I hate to see Joe Burrow getting those early in his career. That's a game changer for your uh, football life. You can see T. Higgins is going to be with the first team receivers just the way he was playing in the fourth quarter of that Cleveland game. Um, you have to look at the play calling. Uh, Zach Taylor inches from the goal line. Why didn't he just have uh, Joe Burrow just try to run into the end zone on the quarterback sneak? This team has little margin of error. You know, you can see Joe Nixon getting frustrated. You know, he's a good team guy. He wants to see the team succeed because he knows the type of players he has. But he's got to know that the offensive line is terrible. And the defensive, you know, they're like you say, the defensive side of the ball, they're going through some injuries. I'm going to give him a, a break on that. Uh, Carlos Dunlap, you know, he has to be on the hot seat. This team needs stops, third down stops. But... uh Duke Tobin with leaving this team thin 
at the offensive line is really, really showing. And I'm just hoping, like I said earlier, that Burrow makes it through a season. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Corey O'Neill, host of the Grease Poll podcast. All right, we're here with Corey O'Neill from the Grease Pole Podcast. Corey, how you doing today, man? I'm good, Frank. I appreciate you having me on. How you doing? All right, my man. I know we're both at 0-2 and in, in a pretty pretty troubling time right now for both teams. Why are the Eagles going to win this game? It, it, you know, Frank, you're right. It, it's, it sucks to go into this game. But one of our seasons are going to be over after Sunday for all intents and purposes. So, you know, for that part, it's a bummer knowing that your season could be over after three weeks. You know, that being said, I think... The Birds win on Sunday by, and this sounds, I don't want to go too cliche here, because football, and you know this, games are won and lost in the trenches. And I know that's a one-on-one answer, but I look at this game and that I, this, this game is a perfect microcosm of that to me. You have the injury situation with our offensive line. Isaac Samala just went down this past Sunday against the Rams, got rolled up on. He's on IR now. If Carson stays clean and manages to not trying to do too much, as he's done several times throughout his career. There were a couple times this past Sunday where he actually managed to throw the ball away. And it was like, okay, awesome, yes, live to play another day, live, you know, live to fight another play. Hell yeah, that's what you want to see out of a quarterback that's been here for five years now. No more rookie mistakes, please, awesome. So we go from that to Carson's going to – he goes and he does fundamental mistakes like throwing across his body, throwing off his back foot, things like that. If he can – The quick three-step drops, the screen passes, don't give them a seven-step drop. Don't give the defensive line, you know, guys, Sam Hubbard, Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, those guys. Don't give them a chance to get past this patchwork offensive line that we have and to put pressure on 11. Because at this point, he knows he's been in this, he's been in this media situation now for five years. He knows how it is to play in Philly. You know what I mean? It's not the same as playing in, say, Detroit for the Lions or Nashville for the Titans. It's They're going to come after you. We're going to ride with you, and we'll be the loudest, biggest, most obnoxious group of fans as long as you're playing your butt off and you're, you know, you're making things happen out there. But when you stink, we're going to let you know. He's familiar with that. He walks past a statue of a backup quarterback every day on his way to work outside of the link. So... I think Carson knows what he's up against. Again, Jalen Hurts was active this past week, and I was a fan of that pick for several reasons. That's a whole other sidebar. But there's a reason Jalen Hurts was active, in my opinion. Now, I'm a huge Wentz apologist, so I don't want to see him acquiesce the starting job eventually to Jalen Hurts. I don't want to see it. You have a quarterback that's making $33 million. It was the MVP of the league a couple weeks ago, a couple years ago, excuse me, until he blew his ACL. And I think he can still be that guy. I really do. He hasn't been the first two weeks of the year. Now, he got sacked eight times against Washington. He's been forcing plays. I think if he can just be kept clean, allowed to get his feet set, if Doug Peterson can help him out with the play calling, he got Miles Sanders going this past week a lot against the Rams, which was good, aside from that fumble on the third play of the game. But it's good because Doug Peterson's so pass-happy you got to compliment. you got to take the heat off with the run game. The run game is there for a reason. I get we're in 2020 and everybody's doing fantasy football. It's a pass-happy league. But you got to establish the run. The threat at least has to be there. And so if, if Doug Peterson can call a good game and give Carson time to get his feet set in the pocket to keep 
Sam Hubbard, to keep Carlos Dunlap, to keep those guys off of him, I think we've got a chance. If Carson isn't running for his life out there, he's got a chance for a bounce-back game. If, if he can do that, I like our chances offensively to outscore you guys. Corey, I'm going to say that we have the same concerns as you because the Bengals have struggled really badly in the trenches in the first two games. I think you guys have the edge on us in the trenches, man. I think we do on on defense because I like our defensive front. I love Josh Sweat on defensive end for us. He's kind of stepped in to play, take more snaps opposite Brandon Green. That was kind of the Derek Barnett role. You know, he's a first rounder in 2017, but he's kind of, he's had some injury stuff. He seems to constantly have an injury designation. Josh Sweat, I love, lengthy player. He's kind of bulked up a little bit. He can he can bend the edge. He's long. He's got length. I think he leads the team in sacks this year personally. He's been he's looked great through the first two games. I think he could make an impact uh, going up against Bobby Hart on the right side of you guys' line. I like our advantage when you guys have the ball. When we have the ball, just by default, kind of thinks you guys have the advantage because I'm so paranoid knowing what could be every time eleven drops back. Corey, let me let me take a total right turn on you. I saw that Schwartz this week said he, he, he faulted himself for not having a, a great plan coming in. Yeah, that's what is, oh, I, gotta, I didn't have a good game plan. And Schwartz is a guy, and I love his mentality, I love his intensity, but when you've had a defensive coordinator that has been, he's been, he's been here, he was a Doug Peterson hire. Peterson brought him in after the disaster that was the Chip Kelly era, his first year as head coach here. Okay, Schwartz is the D.C. now. He's been here five years, too, same as Carson. It's like when, when you've been with this organization for five years, you don't want to hear, oh, hey, my game plan was terrible. Like, yeah, obviously, we lost 30, you know, 37-19, clearly. And especially against a team in the Rams that you know what you're going to get with a Sean McVay offense. You know you're going to get that misdirection, that play action. Jim Schwartz is very stubborn, man, very, very stubborn. He's not the type of guy that's going to that's gonna adjust, that's going to come out and, you know, point things at halftime and you're going to get different looks in the second half. He doesn't disguise anything. You know he's not going to bring extra pressure more often than not. He's just going to rush four. So you know what you're getting with Jim Schwartz. He's incredibly stubborn. And, you know, it's great when it works, but when you come out and you look like we did this past Sunday against the Rams, you can't go out there in the media and say it's been a bad game plan, it's on me. Of course it's on you. And when you've played the Rams each of the last two years, and they have, for the most part, the same personnel. You've got Jared Goff, you've got Cooper Cup, you've got Robert Wood. Sean McVay's been there the entire time. You know what Sean McVay's offense is. So how can you have a defense that is so ill-prepared that looks completely baffled by all the misdirection, all the play action, play after play constantly. And what worries me, Frank, is that Zach Taylor's a Sean McVay guy. He comes from that Sean McVay tree. So when he's looking at film this week, he's going to look at the film and go, man, all we got to do is, you know, that that to me worries me going into Sunday's game. Because if I'm Zach Taylor, I'm just going, okay, all I've got to do is, is play actions and misdirections. And Joe Burrow, in my opinion, he's a better quarterback than Jared Goff. I believe so. I get this is only going to be his third game, but at the same time, when you have the talent on offense that you guys do, you know, again, the offensive line may not be ideal, but that is as loaded an offense as there is top to bottom at the quote-unquote field positions 
in the NFL. So if you're Zach Taylor and you're looking at, you know, your guy Sean McVay's film from the previous week against the team that's coming up, it's fairly obvious where you go on offense to take advantage of because you know Jim Schwartz isn't going to switch it up on Wow, Corey. What a great angle. I didn't even think about the McVay-Zach Taylor relationship. Yeah, it's. I'll be honest with you, man. It's, it's giving me nightmares because that – and it didn't set into me immediately after the emotions, you know, like, oh, here we are, we're 0 awesome. After kind of the smoke, you know, cleared and the dust settled, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Damn it. You know, <laughs> and you guys have every bit. I mean, I, I believe that. I think offensively at the skilled positions, you guys have more talent than the Rams do. I do. I mean, it, when you have a guy like T. Higgins that, for all intents and purposes, was kind of a luxury pick, you know what I mean? When you can make a guy like A.J. Green, I, I don't want to speak, you know more about this than I do, but it's, to me it's like, okay, that makes A.J. Green potentially expendable a little bit long-term past this year, past the franchise tag, and you still have Tyler Boyd, who I love. You've got John Ross, who's a speedster. If he can hang on to the ball, that kid could be dangerous. <laughs> and, and you've got T. Higgins as well. So even if you take A.J. Green out, you still have three damn good receivers, high-end guys, and plus, you still have Joe Mixon back there. So there's a lot of talent and a lot of pieces that Zach Taylor has to work with. And I think that, like I said, all to me, if I'm him, man, all I'm doing is copping in that tape and just going, okay, this is easy. Because like, I mean, Schwartz is not, he's stubborn. Live by the sword, die by the sword. And I guess I can appreciate that in a sense. But when, man, when you're, when you're bleeding to such a degree, like eventually you got to put at least a Band-Aid over it. Wow, strong commentary. I love it. All right, let me ask you another question. What really concerns me about this game is Goddard and Ertz. I, I have a feeling that, that you're, you guys are going to do a lot of damage on that level because, you know, you're a little thin at receiver. I, I imagine Jeffrey's not going to play again. You know, Jackson's getting old. Um, Rieger's coming on, but I, I'm almost feeling that you guys are going to make your most impact on that second level. What are your thoughts on that? It's definitely possible. And I, I, I think this offense is most dangerous when the tight ends are going. I don't want to be like super hot take guy here, but Zach Ertz in the, in the more money situation, and I, I love Zach Ertz. I love him. But the contract situation is because, I don't want to say a distraction. It's not there yet, but him and Howie Roseman had words a couple weeks ago after practice, and they had gotten into it apparently regarding his contract. Zach Ertz came out and said, oh, it shouldn't be this difficult to get a contract done. And, you know, Goddard comes out and he has a game he did against Washington. Now, neither of them really did a whole lot this past week against the Rams, but I agree this should be a matchup where you see the double tight end sets out there a lot. I mean, both these guys can make a difference. You know, it's the best, and I'm not trying to be fanboy guy, but it's the best one-two punch of tight end in the league. As impactful as Zach Ertz can be, and I love him. I prefer the game of Dallas Goddard because Dallas Goddard's a little, he's more, he's got more of that gritty, that Philly, that blue collar mindset to him. He's more willing to get in there and he's not George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson level pass locker, but he's willing to get his hands dirty and do it. I do think this is a game though, where you see both of these guys really heavily. I personally, I, I love the Jalen Rager pick. I love the speed he's got. I would love to see him potentially get more plays dialed up his way i think he is the best as it stands right now in terms of talent i'm not saying legacies or anything like that because of course alshon jeffrey or deshaun jackson have had better careers to this point than a guy that's only played two games but i think as it stands now 
Jalen Rager is the best receiver we have. I don't even think it's debatable. So I would like to see – maybe throw him a deep shot. It worked week one against Washington. Wentz missed him on a second one. You know, you got to those, – those deep shots, it keeps the defense on, on their toes. You let the defense know, okay, we're not afraid to go for it. And they have that in the back of their mind, especially if you do it early. I love Jalen Rager. I love the talent of him. And the double tight end sets I love as well. I do think this is because Doug Peterson, I think, is going to have this mentality of, okay, he knows – he knows the 0-2 start is, is less than ideal, obviously. He's used to the Philly media. He's used to this fan base. He was a player here years ago under Andy Reid. You know, when Andy Reid was a coach, he started for uh, nine games. Donovan had a year, and then he coached under Andy Reid when Andy Reid was in Philly. He's very familiar with, you know, the city, its fan base, things of that nature. So he knows what's going on. I think, hopefully, I hope for my sake and the sake of my liver because I cannot go through another week like this three weeks in a row I can't do a hat trick man but I hope he goes okay let's get back to what works for this offense which is like you said dial up Ertz dial up Goddard let them cut them loose cut them loose you know Goddard is better between the 20s Ertz's red zone is Ertz territory look at it that way and if he does that I like our chances. I do think it's an advantageous matchup. I just hope he sees it the same way that you and I do. Corey, thank you so much for this insight, man. Excellent, excellent work. How can people find you on social media? I'm on Instagram at Greased Pole Podcast. That's where you can follow me at. Comments, questions, concerns, anything, anybody from Eagles fans or not Eagles fans out there. Um, every episode is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You know, I encourage people to subscribe, rate, and review because that's, you know, how they measure these things. You know, if people think it deserves five stars, give it five stars. If people think it deserves one star, give it one star. But any input is better than none. Excellent stuff, man. Pleasure to talk to you, bro. Absolutely, Frank. Thanks so much for having me, brother. Handicapper's Corner. The unofficial Bengals podcast current record is four wins, two losses, 66%. Welcome to a new segment on the unofficial Bengals podcast, and this is called Handicapper's Corner. And every week, either myself or an expert is going to come in and give you guys three games of the week to pick if you're into betting and that sort of thing. Now, I just want to offer a disclaimer. I'm not encouraging people to bet. I think it's just a fun thing if you know how to do it in moderation like anything. And I guess the way you can gauge it is, you know, if you want to throw a few bucks on some games this weekend and you have the extra money, that's a healthy thing. If you're saying, wow, I need the Packers to cover to afford my electric bill, that's not quite a healthy thing. So just kind of analyze where you guys are at on that level. And if you're on the casual side, have fun with it. And if you're on the other side, you know, Watch yourself. Be careful. It's a tough game out there. It's really tough to make a profit gambling. So with that said, here are my picks of the week. I'll take the Colts' first quarter against the Jets, minus three. I'll take Arizona at home against the Lions, minus five and a half. And the Steelers-Texans, under 45. So those are the three games I'm going to go with this week. Again, bet at your own risk, and good luck. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Eagles game, and we're going to have Tom McLeavy and Sands discuss the game as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really good music, really cool highlights, definitely something you guys should check out. And I'd also like to thank the ZDN Network, the network that brings you the unofficial Bengals podcast. 
Go check out at ZDN Network on Instagram and Twitter and check out the full roster of shows, and they have merchandise as well. And they just added another cool show called the Southeastern Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.